Welcome. Welcome to College Gathering. Welcome back. Don't need that. Welcome to College Gathering, you guys. My name's Cody. So glad that you guys are here. So, 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 so glad to be here with y'all. Okay, so tonight, y'all, we are continuing our sermon series talking about back to Sunday school. We're going back to Sunday school. I didn't grow up in church, so I never went to Sunday school, but if you did, we're going back. Okay, people, let's do it. Okay, so we are, what we're doing within this sermon series is we are talking about some of the more well-known stories of the Bible, revisiting them and just seeing what they have for us today as followers of Jesus in 2023. Okay, so if you didn't grow up in church though, if that's not your story, if your story is more like mine, welcome. We're glad that you are here too. Okay, so tonight we are going to be spending time in John 4. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and we're gonna be talking about the woman at the well the woman at the well, or if you're reading your, the little headers in your Bible, because you know, of course you guys are reading your Bibles, it's gonna say something like Jesus and the woman of Samaria. So this story, it is beautiful. It is beautiful and I believe, truly believe that God wants to speak to us tonight through his word, okay? Um, so with that being said, we're gonna do something a little bit different. You can have your Bibles in front of you. You can follow along on the screen, but we're gonna read the majority of this in big chunks, okay? It's such a beautiful story that I think to really be able to dive in appropriately, we need to take a look at what it's saying holistically, okay? So I want you guys, whether you have your Bibles in front of you or whether you're just gonna follow along on the screen to just sit and to listen and to receive the word of God for us tonight, okay? Let's do it. John 4, uh, starting in verse five. So he... That's Jesus. So he came to a town of, of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is very deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Okay, so Jesus, he's traveling through, doing his preaching ministry. It's awesome. He's going from town to town to town. On his way from one town to another, he stops outside of this town at this well, at Jacob's well. He's traveling through. He wants to get water. He sits down by this well and his disciples go into town to get some groceries. That's where we're at. Jesus begins to enter into a spiritual conversation with this woman at the well using the physical water at the actual well that they're standing beside and the imagery of living water um, in himself to kind of guide the spiritual conversation. Pick back up in verse 16. So she says she wants this water and Jesus says to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, 
I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they, that's the people in the town, they went out of the town and were coming to him. That's Jesus. That's our story for tonight. So a few little minor points of context that help frame this story before getting in too deep. Okay, so if we go back all the way to the beginning, we see that Jesus is sitting beside the well at the sixth hour. So the sixth hour, just code word for noon, okay? Jesus is sitting beside the well at noon. And as he's sitting there, this woman walks up and approaches him and, she, and Jesus says, give me some water. And so she doesn't answer. She doesn't acknowledge the, you know, the actual thing that Jesus is asking for, but rather she responds with a question. And she says, essentially, why are you a Jewish man asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? She basically says, with all due respect, why are you talking to me, essentially? And so there's a few reasons for this. Namely, men and women back then, they just didn't, they didn't talk like that. It was like, you talk to your husband, you talk to your wife. Culturally, you weren't just walking around talking to everybody. I know that The Chosen makes that seem like it if you watched, it, watched that, but that's not the case. This was totally unnormal at the time. Second, Jesus, he was not only a man, but he was a Jewish man, okay, a religious man. And she wasn't only a woman, she was a Samaritan woman. And the Jewish people and the Samaritan people did not vibe together. They did not like each other. So the fact that this conversation is, having, is happening at all is cause for pause in this woman's mind, okay? Second point of context to note, we already mentioned it, time of day, noon. It's hot. It is hot. The story takes place midday, noon. Jesus, he was traveling. He was going from town to town, which explains why he is there in the middle of the day. It was hot. He's just sitting down on a rock, I'm sure, while his disciples go get some snacks, come back. That's why Jesus was there, okay? And we see here, really from the story, that Jesus and this woman are the only two people at the well at that day, at that time of day, midday. It's hot. They're the only ones there. And so why, this question for you guys, you don't have to say anything, why would this woman be coming to this well outside of the city, carrying a large, probably heavy jar, getting water at noon at the hottest part of the day? Culturally, this type of chore, because this is a chore, you go out, you get water, you bring it back for your family for the day. This type of chore people normally did in the mornings and in the evenings because it was cool, okay? Because it was cool. Why would she be coming at noon? Why would she be coming at the hottest part of the day? 
So based on the story, there is a very high likelihood that this woman at the well was coming to the well to draw water at, the, at this remote time of day, at the hottest part of the day, on purpose. On purpose. Her shame drove her to the well at noon. She wanted to be alone. Her past, her story, her relationship history drove her to the well at the hottest part of the day when other people weren't gonna be there. Her shame drove her to the well at this time where she thought she would be alone, where she thought no one else would be, or so she thought. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story that speaks directly to each of us tonight. If I had to bet, I bet you that this story speaks to you in the same way that it speaks to me. When I, whenever I read this story, as I was reading over it time and time again over this past week or so, what like stands out about the story is the amount of shame that this woman is carrying. When you read this story, you can almost feel it as you read. You can almost feel her shame. So regardless of, of your past, regardless of your past, your story, your history, each of us at some level, we carry at some sense a bit of shame into this room and into this conversation tonight. So maybe you're in here, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe you're in here and you have shame for the same reason that this woman is experiencing shame, namely sexual sin in your past. And so sexual sin, it's present within this passage. And the sexual sin that's being described in this passage is most likely referring to the willful, deliberate rejecting of the commands of scripture in order to satisfy and pleasure oneself, okay? This is not talking about abuse. This is talking about the willful, deliberate rejecting of the commands of scripture to do what you want to do, okay? Maybe you're in here and maybe that's part of your story. Or maybe you're in here and you are experiencing a level of shame due to the fact that you feel like you just don't quite measure up with the cool kids around you. Maybe you're in here and you try time and time and time again to be somebody that you feel like you need to be, but you're just not quite it. Or maybe you're in here and for whatever reason, you just don't feel like you live up to the expectations that other people have set for you or the ones that you have set for yourself. So regardless of the type of shame that we all bring in here tonight, if you're like, no, I don't, I don't carry any shame. I'm like, dude, tell me your story because I walk in here with a lot. So regardless of whatever type of shame that you might bring into this conversation tonight, all of us, we want to do something with it. We want to do something with it and we primarily just want to get rid of it. If you're anything like me, you just want to get rid of it. But Jesus, he's different. Jesus, he wants to interact with each of us tonight in shocking and in beautiful ways in regards to the shame that each of us carry, okay? So we're gonna have a couple different points for our time tonight. We're gonna be talking through wrong reasons to give our shame to God. We're gonna be talking about what it could look like to allow God to minister to us in the midst of our shame. And then we're gonna conclude with some, hey, you should maybe consider doing this, okay? And so as someone who brings a ton of shame into this conversation, I know that what we're talking about tonight is heavy. And if it's your first time here, it's like, oof, this is not a light one. No, it's not. Welcome, glad you're here. There's a lot of emotions at play. There's lots of history that might, you know, you maybe have tried to bury that come back up in conversations like that. And so because of that, I'm gonna pray for us again. God, we're just, uh, we're grateful. We're grateful um, for your word. We're grateful for your scripture. Um, God, you, God of the universe, go to these places in our heart. You address these points of our life and God, you 
want to bring healing and restoration here. God, I pray for anyone who, um, whether it's their first time or they've been coming for years, God, that you would just begin to disarm hearts and souls and spirits. And God, that you would really, truly meet each of us, myself included, um, in the midst of our talk tonight and minister to us and care for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for tonight. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so point one, knowing that each of us has shame, it is a wrong motivation to give our shame to God, hoping that he will just make it disappear. I'll say that again. Knowing that each of us has shame, it is a wrong motivation to give our shame to God, hoping that he will just wipe it away, that he'll just make it disappear. So we, when we read this story on this side of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, it's really easy to see the comparison that Jesus is making between himself being the living water and the water that's actually in the well. If we read in verse 10, it says this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus, in a very subtle way, is beginning to paint this beautiful picture of salvation and of life in himself using this woman's very real and very present need for water to make his point. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this is Jesus saying this, everyone who drinks of this water, I imagine Jesus is like of this water, this water, you know, like really, really clearly, like this water in this well, this water at the well, you'll be thirsty again. It says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, salvation, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus, he puts his offer of salvation on the table for this woman and she misses it. Understandably so, given the nature of the conversation. But let's see what she says. Verse 15, this woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or, key point here, or have to come here to draw water. Give me this water so I don't have to come here to draw water. At the root of this woman's desire to receive whatever in the world Jesus is offering, she didn't even know fully what it meant at that time. She goes, hey, I just want the water, is her desire to conceal her shame, to make her shame disappear. Because if she is never thirsty again, she will never have to endure the embarrassment of drawing water at noon so as to avoid all the people in town who know her past, who know her story. She perceived Jesus's offer for salvation as a way for her to get her shame, at least a portion of it, to disappear. If I just accept whatever Jesus has for me, he will, he will erase some of, the, some of the mistakes that I've made. He will help me conceal this part of my life. And she says, yes, I want that water. Whatever you can do to help me not have to come here and draw water at this time of day, whatever you can do to conceal part of my story and help my shame disappear, I want it. That's what she says. She says, I want that water. I want it. So some of you, some of you in here, you know my story, some of you don't, that's fine. I came to faith later in high school, didn't grow up in church at all. Um, and after having lived some life in high school, uh, yeah, I, I came to faith later in life after having lived some life. So my story, it's one of God's grace, kindness, provision, protection, but it's not exactly one that I want my kids, you know, to experience, you feel me? So in short, uh, before Jesus, I ran from thing to thing, to person, to person, to substances at time, from relationship to 
relationship just trying to fix what felt so off, what felt so empty, and what felt so broken within me. Because of this, I carried a ton of shame and embarrassment because I went from thing to thing to thing. Like the woman at the well, my past caused my life to be marked by so much shame. Didn't present it at all. I was high school, you're just peacocking everywhere. It's like, no, no, I, I, inside, shame, sad, did not know what my purpose was. I carried a ton of shame into my relationship with God. At some level, my shame from previous mistakes, it prevented me from entering into a true relationship with God because I thought that all God wanted from me was to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll get loved. If you just do X, Y, and Z, then I can just get whatever Jesus has to offer. Before truly coming to faith in Jesus, I thought that if I just did the right stuff, I thought that if I just started going to church and reading my Bible and praying, even though I had no idea how to do either of those things, talking better, you know, like not cussing as much. I thought that was a big one. Uh, that was a big one. I, I didn't think it, it was a big one. <laughs> I stopped doing, you know, if I just stopped doing the terrible things that I was doing days, weeks, you know, before, then God, maybe he would fix whatever's going on in me. He would fix the brokenness. He would fix the shame. Does that sound familiar? In my twisted view of God and in my twisted view of following Jesus, I wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do to the best of my ability, hoping that God would erase parts of my shame from my story that I was trying so desperately bad to keep hidden. To keep hidden. Does this sound familiar? Is this you? It was me and it's certainly the woman at the well. I wanted the water so bad that would conceal my shame, just like the woman at the well. I wanted that water so, 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 so bad. I was so ashamed of my past and I wanted God because I wanted to escape my shame. Does this sound familiar? Is this you? So some of us, we're in here tonight and we're playing the church game. We're trying to escape our past. We're trying to, you know, come on a Tuesday night, come on a Sunday to get some whatever, to, to project this right image of I'm doing all the right things, to be this person that everyone expects you to be. Some of us, we are in here actively running from the shame that we feel. I know it because I was you. We're in here asking for the same type of water that the woman at the well is asking Jesus for. Just take my shame and make it go away. Just get me away from this well where other people can see me. I don't care what you do with my shame. Just take it. Just make it go away. And this is completely understandable, yet a wrong motivation for following Jesus. Completely understandable, but it is a wrong motivation for following Jesus. What a beautiful hope that we have in Christ is that he doesn't just hide our shame. He doesn't just take our shame but he actually ministers to us in the midst of our shame. He doesn't just take it away, but he wants to do something more beautiful than that. Namely, point two, God wants to minister to us in our shame. He wants to minister to you in the midst of your shame. Not someone else's shame, your shame, your story. After this portion of the interaction, Jesus, he sees what's going on here, okay? So instead of giving up on her, so it's, it, instead of giving up on her or going in you know, a completely different direction with the conversation or getting right to the point, he goes instead to the root of her shame and begins to talk with her through it. Verse 16, John 4 verse 16 says this. 
And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. This woman, uh, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship, okay? So what we see here is that Jesus, he tries to take the conversation to the deep, to the deep places and she totally tries to change the subject. She goes, like, without telling him, without her telling him, Jesus begins to disclose the most shameful point in her past. He brings up the number of marriages she's had, the number of husbands she's had. So quickly, real quick on this point, there's a decent chance that like we assume that it's just like going from dude to dude to dude to dude. That's not the story. That, that's part of the story. But part of the cultural context at the time is dudes died a lot, died real early. Don't love that. Glad that we've moved on from that. But part of that meant that as a woman, you, you'd get married and your husband would be the primary means of providing for you, okay? So there's a good chance that some of these husbands, they just died. Didn't make it, okay? Didn't make it. So she'd get remarried, okay? And so part of that is that she had to be, back in the day, in this time of the story, in this time of the Bible, as a woman, you had to be married to be provided for, okay? So that's part of this story, okay? But, but without assuming too much of that, we can look at the greater context of the story, like her getting water at the well at noon, to see that regardless of the details, this woman, she had a past, she had a past and she's even currently living and sexually engaging with a man who is not her husband, okay? Which is, uh, which is and was morally wrong according to the commands of scripture, okay? So Jesus, in his kindness, he brings this up. He's seeking to take the conversation there to address her shame, to address her past. She's uninterested. She immediately says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet, aren't you? You know, and so like, I, as I, every time I read the story, I'm like, I actually resonate with that because she's like, dude, I don't want to be here in general. And now you're walking up to me, telling me everything about my life. I don't even know what's happening anymore. Could you just leave me alone? And so she's like, just change the subject. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Let's talk about some other, you know, theological nuance. So she changes the subject and begins to ask Jesus some specifics about worship, okay? And Jesus, again, Jesus, in his kindness, he doesn't press too hard, in his kindness, he does not press too hard. He goes with her. He goes with her in the conversation. Verse 19 says this. Woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. So she's trying to change the subject. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus, in his kindness, engages her in this seemingly off-topic direction of the conversation, is now headed. And he explains to her that salvation is from the Jews. It's from the Jewish people, the same people that she identifies Jesus to be a part of. Jesus says that there's a day coming 
where it won't matter where you worship, and he's alluding to the Holy Spirit being given to believers upon salvation, okay? In response to this, verse 25. Verse 25 says this. The woman said to him, so after this little dialogue, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So every aspect of their conversation, every aspect of their interaction with each other, their dialogue, it begins to click with this woman in this moment. Despite her best efforts to change the conversation, despite her strongest attempts to try to conceal, to try to hide her shame, Jesus, he takes the conversation there. Jesus, he offers, at least initially, offers this gift of salvation. She misunderstands it. And Jesus knows that what is happening in her heart at the time of this interaction, it's midday, she's drawing water from the well, she's embarrassed, she's trying to hide her shame. Jesus, he takes the conversation there. She tries to hide her shame, but Jesus, he brings it to the light. She tries to hide her shame and Jesus brings it to the light. He identifies himself as the coming Messiah and for this woman, everything clicks, everything. And you know what I bet was the first thing that came into her mind when she realized who she was talking to? It was Jesus's words, I will give you, woman at the well, eternal life. The all refreshing water that you desire, I will give it to you. And I will take your shame and I will give you a new life. I, this is what Jesus is saying. I will give you the living water that will satisfy your soul. I will not only interact with your shame, I will not only observe your story from afar, but I will enter in and I will turn your shame into a beautiful part of your story. Jesus is saying to us, the exact same thing that he was saying to this woman 2,000 years ago. I will take your shame and I'll give you a new life. I will take your shame and I will give you a new identity. I will take your sin, your, your, your past, your failures, your mess. I will take your mistakes. I will take all the ways that you have blown it and I won't simply make it go away. I won't just hit reset, but I will go to the deepest places of your heart and I will minister to you there. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying to each of us tonight that regardless of your past, regardless of the shame that you bring into this conversation, living water is available to each of us. John 7, 37, just a few chapters later says this. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. These are Jesus's words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whether you've yet to place your faith in Jesus, for, whether you've yet to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and enter into this type of intimate relationship, the story is the same. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for years or whether you haven't come to know him yet, the truth of this story, it's the exact same. Jesus, he's saying to us tonight in Lubbock, Texas, the beautifully freeing reality that your shame, your past, your story, it won't prevent you from being loved by God. Amen? It won't prevent you from being loved by God. Not now, not ever. 
This is good news. God loves each of us so much, so much so that he sent his son to live the perfect life that all of us were required to live. But we blow it time and time and time and time and time again. If you're anything like me, you blow it and you know it. We sin, we fall short. We fall short of the standard that God has set for us to live. We rack up a heavy, heavy tab of shame, of rebellion, of willfully going away from God, of sin and of shame. And there is an eternal gap between us and the Father because of it. And God, in his grace, he saw that gap between us and between himself and he didn't run away. He moved towards us. He didn't run away. He sent Jesus to live the perfect life that was required of us. He sent Jesus to die the death that we, me, you, that all of us deserve. He sent Jesus to resurrect from the grave three days later forever, for all time, defeating sin, death, and the shame that separates us from God. God loves you that much, that much. I have a son, I'd never do that, ever. God loves you that much. And if you've yet to enter into this kind of personal, intimate, shame-exposing, shame-freeing relationship with God, that offer is on the table tonight. This type of relationship, this type of living water changes you. Cultural Christianity, coming here to check the box off because you're from Texas, that doesn't change you. That will not change you and that will not save you. Living water from the Son of God will save you and it will change your life. I promise you. Romans 10 verses nine through 11 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, don't miss this, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. This is the love that God has for us. This is the love that God has for you. He takes our shame. He takes our story. He reframes it and he turns it into a beautiful part of our lives. So what do we do with this? Before we talk about our application, let's see how the woman at the well applied this truth. John 4 verse 26 says this, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Even his disciples were like, Jesus, what are you doing talking with this girl? Verse 28, so the woman, what does she do? In response to everything clicking, just moments before this, verse 28, what does she do? The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went, that's the people who she was hiding from moments earlier. They, these people went out of the town and were coming to him. This interaction with Jesus changes everything about this woman's life. 
everything immediately changes her life. Instead of continuing to hide her shame, she takes that water jug down, sets it down as a freed woman and runs toward the very people she was trying to hide from moments earlier. Moments earlier, she enters the town and she says to the people, don't look at me, but look at a man who can tell me everything I ever did. Now it's a part of her story. So what do we do with this? It's pretty clear. Point number three, the truth of the gospel compels us to live life on mission. The truth of the gospel of this living water compels us as changed people to live our lives on mission. The woman at the well, she was no longer bound by the shame that held her down just moments before that forced her to draw water from this well at the hottest part of the day, but she was now free. She was free. Jesus freed her from her shame. Jesus had forgiven her of her sin, gave her a new life, gave her a new identity, gave her that living water that her soul needed. And so you might be you know, a Bible scholar in here and say, well, there isn't an explicit you know, gospel profession of faith here. You know, she didn't sign a card and you know, okay, whatever. You'd be right. There isn't an explicit gospel profession of faith, but what there is in the spirit of a true disciple of Jesus, in the spirit of a changed person, and in the spirit of someone who has been freed from sin and had their life changed, she goes. She immediately goes. She goes. She goes directly towards the very people that she was just hiding from, living Water had changed her life and living water propelled her to go. It propelled her to mission. There's two primary points of application for our time tonight as we begin to wrap up. The first one is simple, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. This is the story that changed this woman's life 2,000 years ago and this is the story that changed my life over 10 years ago. And this is the same story that can change your life tonight. This is the same story that can change your life tonight. And if you're in here, and if you have yet to come to faith in Jesus, if you're just trying to conceal your shame, just trying to do whatever you think you need to do to hopefully, fingers crossed, at the end of your life, stand before God and just hope he lets you in. If that's you, if you're in here, trying to conceal your shame, trying to fix all your life's problems, trying to be a, you know, a good enough person, whatever that even means, it will all fail you. It will all fail you. You can never be good enough. You will never be enough to fix what is most broken in you. There's nothing you can do. Absolutely nothing. And you know that because you've tried. At some level, at some degree, you have tried to fix that thing that's broken within us with things other than Jesus. It doesn't work. I've done it. I'm with you. Nothing gives peace like Jesus gives peace. Whenever I was 16 years old, um, God bless, I walked into a dark and dingy and kind of cringy youth room, First Baptist Church of Corinth, shout out, for the first time in my life. Walked in there, hadn't grown up at church at all, and I, and I was walking in there carrying more shame than I knew what to do with. I came to church truly, genuinely, never, ever have heard the gospel my entire life. I thought all God, whatever that even meant, what all he wanted from me was to don't do this, 
to do this. And maybe, just maybe at the end of your life, if you're lucky, if you, know, if you hold enough doors open for old ladies and say, yes, ma'am, and no, sir, that he'll let you in. He would take my shame and he'd make it all go away. That's what I thought. But a faithful preacher shared with me the world-shattering reality of the gospel that God would love me despite me, that God isn't mad at me for my past, but that Jesus died for all of the stupid things that I would ever do, that, had, that I'd ever done and that I would ever do so that I could have peace with God because he loved me. As a 16-year-old and now as a 28-year-old, this is the most beautiful story I have ever heard. The story of the woman at the well, it's my story. The story at the woman at the well, both the shame and the redemption, it is my story. So if you want to talk to someone tonight about what it could look like, so stop trying to hide your shame or run from your past or you know, whatever, we would love to have a conversation with you tonight. There's gonna be people in the back with lights on back there. If you just wanna talk, if you're just carrying something, Whatever it is, we are here to talk, to pray with you, whatever it is. If you feel like God is asking for you to have a conversation with someone, please do not leave here without doing that. Application point number two, share your faith. Share your faith. Okay, so for those of us who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, we are called not simply to come to faith in Jesus, like truly come to faith and then sit on the sidelines. We're just not called to that. We are called to live our lives on mission, knowing that God wants to use us. God wants to use changed people to change people. Not simply because God wants us to act differently, but because Jesus died to do away with the shame and give anyone, anyone who repents, who turns from their sins, casts himself on Jesus for new life. He's given that to everyone. And we have what people want. We have this living water, the same living water that Jesus gave to this woman that changed her life. You have it. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have something in you that you can share that will change people's lives. You have it. And God is calling you to get in the game. So if you're in here and Jesus has changed your life, he wants to use you. He doesn't wanna use some better version of you, some more you know, put together, some more you know, attendance at church. He doesn't wanna use that version of you. He wants to use you right now in the seat that you're sitting in, in the you know, classes that you're in, in the fraternities and sororities that you're in right now to reach those around you who do not know Jesus. I promise you, he wants to use you. God has chosen us, the collective global church, anyone who has believed in Jesus, who has the Holy Spirit, living within us, he has called us to be the primary agents of change, to take the gospel to those who do not have it. God has given this task to us. And if you are a believer and a follower in Jesus, he has given that task to you, to you. Jesus's words in Matthew 28, um, these are his last words that he says to his followers of Jesus before, before he goes back up to heaven. This is what he says, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's Jesus. He's saying, I've got all authority here. Because I have all authority, go therefore and make 
disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, always to the end of the age. Changed people, shameless people, new creations, vessels of living water. We are to take this message of the gospel of love, of hope, of repentance, of restoration. We are to take it to the ends of the earth and it will be difficult, but Jesus says that he will be with us always until the end of the age. So if you're in here walking with Jesus and you feel like God is asking you, asking something of you, if you feel like God is asking you to participate more in the mission of God, feel free to come talk to us in the back as well. We wanna have conversations regardless of where you're at in your walk with Jesus. We wanna have conversations with you about anything if you feel like God is asking something of you. So we will, be in the, we will be in the back more than willing to talk with you. Okay, Christ, Jesus, Son of God, he has come to take away our shame. And for those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus, our shame, according to Psalm 3, is as far as the east is from the west. That's what he does with our sin. That's what he does with our shame. He comes to give us new life, new purpose, new identity. This is my story and this is the story of the woman at the well. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we thank you. God, I just, um, even tonight, I'm just so grateful that in your care and your providential kindness, you have decided to save a people who do not deserve it. God, there are people in here um, who you have saved and who you will save at some point in the future, God. Um, and, you, and, and none of us deserve it, God. I'm just so grateful for your grace. I'm so grateful that you didn't see the gap between us and run away. That just like the woman at the well, when we were confused by what was happening in the conversation, you didn't give up on us. You moved towards us despite our story, despite our shame, despite all of the things that we struggle with, that we fall into, God, you move towards us each and every time. And God, we love you for it. And so God, I pray during the second worship set, if there's anybody who wants to talk, God, that you would just compel them to go talk. Um, God, I pray that we would sing these songs as new creations, as freed people living for you and worshiping for you. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.